You are listening to Faithless Brewing, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the Spike Road. Each week, we design new decks for tournament play and then we put our creations to the test. Finally, we share findings on the air, what worked, what didn't, and what can we improve as we move forward. Tonight, in today's episode, we witness the return of our CEO, Daniel Schreiber, better known as Cape Town Online, as we explore the limits of his favorite car from New Capena, Luxior, Shiara's gift. And that's what's coming tonight on this edition of Faithless Brewing. Thanks for listening and hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Faithless Brewing Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Schriever, also known as Cave Dan Online. I'm joined today, all the way from Buenos Aires. You know him as Moored to Light. It's Emmy Sagasti. Emmy, welcome. Hey, yo. How's it going, Dan? Nice to have you back. Oh, it's good to be back. Is it? Well... Or is that something people <laughs> say? Like, I assure you, you're here sitting in your desk, just having fun, just enjoying the talk, but would you rather be in a pool in Mexico, Dan? This is where you want to be. Is it good to be back? I couldn't actually finish that sentence. I, the words came out, and then I was like, nah, it's, it's not good to be back. <laughs> I had the best time. I, I was on vacation for like nine days. Uh, wife and I went down to Mexico, just beachside resort. It was so relaxing. The weather was perfect. Got a little tan going. Yeah, I can see you. I, you guys cannot see that, but I'm white paper pale. And now he looks all tan and masculine. Just look at that man. <laughs> People say good to be back, but no one wants. No one is happy to be back. You just missed the pool in Mexico. It was tough waking up in my own bed this morning, surrounded by all my familiar things, my familiar problems. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. All right. All right. But nevertheless, we're here. It's good to see your face. Thanks. So, magic, magic, magic. No pool. Back to magic. <laughs> no pool, magic. Why can't I just be sitting down in a pool with my beautiful wife, forgetting about the day-to-day issues? But no, we have to talk about magic. It is a good time to be talking about magic. So we're recording this on Wednesday, which means that today, tomorrow maybe, the streets of New Capenna is going to be available on Magic Online, on Magic Arena. And we're going to finally get to play with some of these cards. We've been talking about them for a few weeks. We did a spoiler episodes. You and David talked about your top 10 cards last week. You even got a few of your first brews out there. I heard you proposing some interesting Obnixilis decks. Oh, yeah. Just David went deep in the Obnixilis tank. Just in love with the card, it seems. I like it as well. Yeah, and I heard you had some spicy ones with uh, Riveteer's Ascendancy. I saw you had a Vivian birthing pod combo going oh yes no but i think the spiciest thing was Torg- um, torgas that's the name of the card torgar torgar famine incarnate yes so you can kill someone with omnixilis in a mardu shell that was just david's dream yeah so even though today which is our friday episode is technically our first card of the season for new capenna uh don't Forget to check the previous episode where you can hear Emmy and David going through all of those kind of first draft ideas for 
the decks that are hot off the presses, the ones we want to get out there right away, because I'm sure a lot of people are going to be testing Obnixilis immediately. That being said, before we dive too far into our card, uh, we should get our housekeeping out of the way. Yeah, of course. So, first of all, as per usual, we want to thank our new patrons. And for today, we have to thank Michael B., Chad Nuga, and MTC Pacare, I assume keeps the doctor away, for shunning <laughs> our Patreon. So, thanks so much, everybody. They, I have seen a few of you shunning our Discord. Hope to see the remaining one shine. And, well, thanks so much. It really helps to keep us going. Yeah, absolutely. The Patreon is the best way to support the show, support what we do here if you enjoy this podcast. You will also get some perks, some little thank yous. You'll get access to our Discord. we got a wonderful brewing community going there as well. Love to see all the new decks getting thrown around during preview week. You also get other perks. If you're looking for Faithless Brewing merch, we have stickers, we have playmats, we have tokens. We have opportunities for you to help us decide what cards we will brew next. And in that vein, we have some exciting news. So, we finally got the ending of our Serum Visions Bosley project, the ending of the voting. And as much as, as, much as I'm being teased because they know I'm going to use a clickbait title with this for this episode because we got the answers, <laughs> the cards that won will shock you. <laughs> it was actually an extremely, extremely close vote. Like, I was talking to Dan about a f- every few days, like, Dan, it's about to tie. Dan, it's about to be a triple tie. Dan? What should we do? And he was in Mexico, so he wasn't really as involved as I was. And I was like, in suffering, like, Dan, it's a triple tie. There are 18 each. What should I do? <laughs> Send help. And it got clear by the end. I had, I had you guys posted on the Discord a bit, just letting you know how it was going. But it was so close because the card that was extremely close to winning was Cunning Night Wonder. <laughs> And I was sure, I was assured that Canning Night Wonder was going to win because it was ahead every single day since day two. It, was, it just kept winning and got ahead, it tied and got ahead, it tied and got ahead. So, Cunning Night Wonder, 2-2 Flash from Ikoria, it's almost a Flash Lord. And yet, I have never seen a single decklist with this card ever. I was wondering, what did you and Brian and Jicky say about this card? This must You must have made the most amazing pitch for Cunning Nightbonder. <laughs> because it was in the lead the entire time. We didn't. We didn't say anything amazing about it. People just want Flash Slitherwisp. People want Slitherwisp, I think. And Cunning Nightbonder is their way into it. I mean, it, it was quite stressful for me seeing Cunning Nightbonder in the lead the whole time. Because I feel like any deck you build with Cunning Nightbonder... Nightbonder will be the first card you cut from it. Because it doesn't actually work with the best Flash cards. Like Slitherwisp. I'm gonna look at that quote. I'm gonna <laughs> you have a, you have a perfect quote from the first time I sent you this question and you were like paid. So I'm gonna find this quote, everybody. Just give me just a second, because Yeah. Dan was the in distress. Now Numas have made a great case for it. It's the first card I would cut from any Nightbonder deck. Talking about Nightbonder. Well, I mean think about it, right? Like it reduces the cost of flash cards, but Slitherwisp, which is the best flash lord, does not reduce by Nightbonder. Like they, they were afraid of this interaction, so they made Slitherwisp cost black, black, blue for some reason. It doesn't reduce the cost of Thieves Guild Enforcer. It doesn't reduce the cost of Soaring Thoughts Thief. So you're like, okay, maybe I'll put it in my rogues deck, except it doesn't help you at all there. It makes them uncountable. <laughs> it makes them uncountable, yes. Yeah, and it doesn't even reduce copies of itself. It doesn't yes. even work in more levels. <laughs> 
So we had that in pain with that card about to win, and I was sure it was about to win. Like in my mind, I was already brewing Slither Wisp. And all of a sudden, Shodan of the Skulls tied up to it. Which as a card I was shocked, because it's a card that doesn't feel as dreamy. So, in the ending of the vote, uh, people in the Discord have already seen this, there's like two cards tied at ni- at 19 and a winner at 20. The tied cards are Shodan of the Skulls and Canning Nightbonder. Ooh. So Shodan did not win. Shodan did not oh win. Shodan got there. It was touching the, touching the winning line, which is the card I was the most excited about because I just love Shodan. But I thought it was not going to get a single vote because it just doesn't seem as flashy as the others. I mean, it's probably the most proven card on the list of the 12 cards. I guess Turok was also on there. But Turok and Showdown, these are, these are cards that are actually almost staples. Not staples. They're in the mix. <laughs> They're pantry items that people sometimes have. If you play a modern challenge or league, you're going to see those cards. Like, it's a possibility. Which is, I thought, what would happen to Shodan, right? Because Latsan and Turak, which are the most competitive cards, like most known cards of these, mm-hmm. actually only got like four and five votes. And all of a sudden, Shodan just steamrolls up to 19, tied for second place. It was surprising, because it, it wasn't as far ahead as first. All right, so we have Shodan, we have Cunning Nightbonder, tied for seconds. I'm dying of suspense here. <laughs> Honorable third and fourth position in the form of Athrios and Kalein. Kalein got at 17 votes, was quite close. But the winner, which I think everybody knew it was going to win, because it was the only card to a double nominee, mm. it's Invoke Calamity. Oh boy. Invoke Calamity, one red, 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 red. Well, that's a lot of red. Instant, you may cast up to two instant and or sorcery spells with total mana value six or less from your graveyard and or hand without paying their mana costs. Oh boy. <laughs> so we made, we did we did make a great pitch for this card because at the same time, like David was going like, okay, I think we can do a f- we can do this and this. And all of a sudden I interrupted and said, David, can I propose a really bad idea? And he was like, okay, more go for it. And I go like collected conjuring. And he was like, I was about to say collected conjuring. We all knew we want the two collected conjuring stuff. And that's what we're going to do. So that's it. That's our first monthly project card of the month, even. Invoke Calamity. This is a spicy one. This is a worthy brew-around card. Yeah, I'm excited this was the one to win. We overcanning Night Wonder. Even though I love the Night Wonder, I think the cards I really wanted to win were Calamity, Flux, Chandler, or, or Showdown. Because those felt like the most fun wheel arounds for something new, something innovative. So we're not going to say too much more about Invoke Calamity today, but on Monday, our next episode, we'll take our first crack at Invoke Calamity. And again, as we said before, the idea behind this monthly project is that we're going to be checking in on this card over a period of weeks, iterative brewing. So we'll take our first, first stab at it. Go 0514 a couple of times. Well, I will go 14. Emmy will go whatever you go. <laughs> I will go two. I will go two three because I will get lucky. And we'll we'll be soliciting ideas, soliciting feedback. We'll have a dedicated channel for this in our Discord. If people who are listening who are not in our Discord have some ideas for Invoke Calamity that they want to share with us, we'd love to see those as well. And we'll be checking in on this card a little bit uh, from week to week 
at the end of the month, we'll have Brian Madden and Arun Singh, our friends from the Serum Visions podcast, come and do another crossover episode where we sort of bring together everything we learned, and then we'll do it all again. We'll have another vote to choose next month's card. Exactly. And with that being said, we can go on to, I think, the card for today, which is sadly not in Bokalamity, everybody. Calm down. That's for Monday. Relax. <laughs> All right. So our first official card of the week is Luxior Giada's Gift. And if you heard me talk about this card during the preview episodes, this should be no surprise. It was so much to say the same. If you didn't guess, this was the first card after hearing Dan write a whole article for it. Talk about it nonstop and just proposing ideas. People, you should have guessed this. This was coming a long time, a, lo- a long time away. I invoke CEO's privilege for choosing this card. It's partly because I think it's interesting, partly because it might be good. It's probably not that good, but it's interesting and it's very popular. So it's one of those cards where you kind of have to start with it because if you don't, it, it it'll play itself out in the span of the next three weeks. Everyone's going to be trying this. So this is the, this is the time. Got to strike when the iron is hot get some concepts out there because actually when you when you really dig into it there's a ton of different things you can do with Luxior and we've got in front of us here almost like 10 different lists yeah different concepts crunching from the most crazy dreams to the most eh, this could actually work yeah so Emmy, what is Luxior so Luxior is Kera's gift thanks for asking that that's the end of the episode bye bye <laughs> <laughs> Looks your Kiara's gift. Legendary artifact equipment. Equipped creature gets plus one plus one for each counter on it. And another paragraph that makes no sense at first. Equipped permanent isn't a planeswalker and is a creature in addition to its other types. Equipped planeswalker for one, equipped for three. So we got an equipment that for only one mana gets attached to a planeswalker and transforms it into a creature. With at first glance its power and toughness as its loyalty. So build your own Gideon, essentially, for one to cast, one to equip, if you're attaching to a Planeswalker. Now your Planeswalker can attack and block. It's not going to lose loyalty counters whenever people attack it. Actually, they can't attack it anymore, right? It's just a creature on the field. That's the important part of Isen a Planeswalker, because it's not like a creature and a Planeswalker, it's just a creature. It's the equivalent of having a Necrotic Ooze and a Grace in the Graveyard. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so... You may be wondering, what about the loyalty abilities? Well, it says on Luxior that loyalty abilities can still be activated. Apparently, being a creature does not prevent you from plus one-ing, minus two-ing, whatever. It's interesting, like, if you looked at the Mystery Booster playtest cards from a couple years ago, where they had some, like, theoretical concepts, they, they experimented with something called Spark, which was essentially just creatures would have loyalty abilities on them, and you would get Spark counters to track how much spark you had as a player. I mean, they ha- we, they did something like this. I mean, you could achieve something like this, as I said, with stuff like Necroticus and a Grist in the Graveyard, or there are like, some other combinations that allowed you to have a creature that could plus and minus. Oh, Grist. Okay, I thought you meant Gristlebrand. I was like, well, sure. I mean, I, I guess if that's the same. Okay, Grist the Hunger Tie. So Grist counts as a creature. Necroticus picks up its loyalty abilities. So it, it can actually, like, if you have a, if you play a Necrotic Goose and have a Grace in your graveyard, you can plus one on your Goose and it gets a loyalty counter. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, okay, interesting. Being a creature will allow your Planeswalker to keep doing its thing and attacking. It's almost like you're getting double use out of the card. Is that an optimistic way? I don't know. You feel as great and then they fatal push your, your, your Planeswalker and then you, you feel not so smart. 
So that's equipping a planeswalker. That's the primary use just as the card is designed. However, they did give you the ability to equip Luxior to a regular creature. In that case, you're paying three to equip, so that's not efficient at all. However, that does enable certain creature combos, notably with Devoted Druid. Um, so that is another way you're going to see this used. A card combos with Devoted Druid? I could have never picture that. <laughs> really? With the bonded druid of all cards, it's like saying it combos with intruder, with intruder alert. <laughs> exactly, intruder alarm week coming up by popular acclaim. We we need to find all the ways to combo with this card. All right, well, you probably by this point have already heard about those combos. So today, what we want to do is actually just get some lists in front of you for your consideration. Talk through how you might actually put sixty or eighty card versions of this together. We'll start off with Devoted Druid just because you've got to get that out of the way, almost like clearing your throat, and then we'll move on to the spicier stuff, because not every combo involves Devoted Druid. That being said, let's jump into Modern and kick us off with like, the basic Devoted Druid show. Okay, so Devoted Druid combo. First the version with no sagas. We are going a bit more old-timey, as you say. We start with an usual package, eight, seven or eight mana dorks, four givers from some protection, four devoted druid, and between three and four vizier of remedies. And the reason we doubt in the number of viziers is because it's sort of the same as Luxior, right? You don't want too many enablers with not enough devoted druids. Yeah, exactly. So vizier of remedies prevents minus one minus one counters from being put on your druid. That allows you to untap it as many times as you want. And Luxior's purpose in the deck is to kind of duplicate the Vizier effect. It doesn't prevent the counters from going on, but the additional boost you get from Luxior offsets the minus one minus one counters on Devoted Druid, and therefore you can just keep activating it. Yeah, you can just get infinite amount of mana, or an infinite amount of minus one minus one counters, is that something you're interested in? Well, not in this deck, but if I were playing the Hapatra deck, uh, which is another possible home, um, like a Yogmoth deck, you you might consider something like Luxior in a in a Yogmoth deck. But let's stick with Devoted Druid for now. Let, let's <laughs> let's not spoil ahead. Sure. So we got the two walking ballistas as infinite mana outlets, and most importantly, we have the four Stoneforge Mystic as a way to find not only Luxior and Badra School as a fair plan, but also Viridian Longbow. Less known combo than the just Devoted Vizier Ballista. It's Devoted Vizier. Viridian Longbow. <laughs> exactly. Because uh, not only you, you could tap your, your, your devoted for mana, you just can't tap your devoted to fire that stuff and keep on tapping it. So Viridian Longbow was an absolute terror in Mirrodin draft. Uh, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> Mirrodin draft. <laughs> no. I'm That's saying so this just because I know how ago. much it will hurt you. So for anyone listening, Emmy, amazing player, began his magic journey in Ixalan. Um, he's, just a, he's just a little baby. David, Damon, and myself, we're like ancient boomers, we're old fogies, so we're going to look for any excuse to tell you about Mirrored and Block Limited. <laughs> the first I set was the head four equipment. years old! <laughs> Man, you missed out on some fantastic draft sets. Oh my gosh, you were playing the new Capenna pre-release this weekend. I was playing the Mirrodin pre-release. Viridian Longbow was the most busted common in the entire set. There was stuff like Bone Splitter, there was Skull Clamp was in that block. Longbow was just unbeatable card. It was so good. 
I, I mean, I can picture how long ago can get really annoying in draft because you play anything that's less than an X2 or X3 in the late game and it just gets like six mana. Pew, pew, pew. Exactly. And I think that it took, we didn't even have the internet back then. Things were so primitive. <laughs> it took weeks for people to figure out that you could equip one creature, ping something, move it to another creature, <laughs> ping something again. It was a strange time. We, we had a lot to learn back then. <laughs> You're just, you know, don't say stuff like that. You're just giving credit to David's argument that people just see patterns. <laughs> don't, don't ever give David credit. You're defending his Machiavellian speeches. I just get happy whenever I see Viridian Longbow proposed seriously in a constructed list. And this is not a new tech, right? When Stoneforge Mystic was unbanned and modern people attempted this, they, they figured out that Longbow is a reasonable payoff to include as your third piece in the Devoted Druid combo. So Druid is one piece, Vizier is a second piece, or Luxier now. And the third piece is something to actually turn that mana into a win. So we have Walking Ballista for that. We have Viridian Longbow for that, which is part of the Stoneforge package. And we even have Finale of Devastation, um, which alongside Eladamri's Call, you know, these will find Druid, these will find Vizier, or they'll find your payoff creature to kill, it, to kill them. We have a, also Postmortem Lunge, which is like the best way to win with like and with haste, because you just go, they try to kill or exile your devoted. Please remember, they can never exile your devoted without like a pithing needle effect, because you can sacrifice it in response. That's extremely relevant with postmortem launch in your deck. If they try to solitude your devoted, ending your devoted, you can just put two minus one minus one contras on it and sacrifice it. Oh, that's interesting. I actually did not realize that. So you're envisioning that you know you put zero remedies on the stack, they respond with March of Otherworldly Light, Solitude. Don't let that resolve, you're saying. Just make sure that you kill the Devoted Druid. You never let um, um, Devoted Druid get exiled. Unless there's like a pithing needle effect that's stopping you, you just always sacrifice it. It's better to have it in your graveyard, either for postmortem launch or for threatening postmortem launch. Because it never allows your opponent to tap down, because all of a sudden you can go reanimate the model and go for a win. A lot of the time what will happen is on like turn three, if you play that if you play like turn one dork, turn two devoted druid, you're gonna go turn three, play a Vizier, they're gonna kill your devoted, and in response you can sacrifice it to itself, add enough mana to postmortem launch it back and win. And that's gonna happen semi consistently. So remember, always sacrifice it at any scenario. And then we have Three card the great creator, which not only works as an infinite mana outlet to win the game, because you just go Karn for Ballista, but also works as a of course as a sideboard plan in that allows you to get Tormod Script or Callus of the Void as early as turn two or three. But most importantly, it's the fact that it can also work as a Vizier of Remedies, albeit a eight mana Vizier of Remedies to get Luxier. Eight mana? It's only six. Oh no, it is eight. Gosh. <laughs> yeah, it's so <laughs> much mana. It's actually a lot of mana to cast Luxior and equip it to Druid. Oh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Four it's... to cast Karn, downtick Karn, find Luxior, cast Luxior, equip it to Druid. So it is a lot, but I mean, this deck is very good at generating mana between seven mana dorks like for devoted Druids. Like, you just go turn two or three devoted, it dies, turn four Karn, turn five, postmortem launch on devoted, Yara, equip. And it's just steal a game. Yeah, that makes sense. Three Karns, and this is mostly a question of just like trying to get the numbers right. Maybe you like different cards, right? Maybe you don't trust Karn, you just want to play stuff like uh, Ranger Captain of Eos. You know, Shalai, Voice of Plenty is, is actually pretty good in these kind of decks. Other ways to protect your druid. It depends on if you feel like 
you know, Luxior is attractive enough that you want as many ways to find it as possible, or if you feel like, you know, just adding it to the Stoneforge package is enough. Um, so I, I noticed some other variants you could do, right? You, you could, for example, play Urza Saga in this deck. Uh, I don't have it here because I think the mana base as currently constructed is actually pretty good. Like, it's pretty proven that in a green-white mana dork shell with Devoted Druid, you actually get to take advantage of Horizon Canopies. You know, Gavity Township is okay, and you just have a lot of, like, room for good lands like Razor Bridge Thicket. I just love Gavity Township. Must be one of my favorite lands. Utility lands. I just, it just won me so many games when I started playing Mashik. Gavity Township? Yeah. How how old were you when Gavney Township was printed? <laughs> now I need to know. Let me check. Gavney Township is from Innistrad. Original Innistrad. And Innistrad got released. No, that's Crimson Bow. 2011, so I was just finishing primary school. Okay. <laughs> I was 12. <laughs> like, I was on my way to... Just, just letting everybody know that in Argentina it's six and six, not eight and four, which is, I think already is in USA. Primary school is six, after six years. It, no, it's six years of primary, six years of secondary school. Okay. It's like six, six grade, six grade, and not like eight four or however you just call freshman, senior, and stuff that no one understands but you. Yeah, we do it kind of weird here. We we have like primary school, and then there's like something called middle school, which. Is either two or three years, depending on where you go to school, and then it's a mess. We are more civilized in only that regard. <laughs> we just have six, six, and we forget about it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you could put Urza Saga in the deck. Do you think that's a good idea? I don't know. I don't know if good is the word that I would utilize. Hmm. It's an inspiring idea. <laughs> I mean, do you feel like do you feel like it gives you an extra angle, or do you feel like it just creates more vulnerabilities? I think this deck is so vulnerable, you cannot make it more vulnerable. <laughs> okay, now I know that sounded really stupid, but I have an argument for what I just said. So you have Shigis with Grinding Breach, hmm. which is a deck that falls to removal, counter spells, graveyard hate, enchantment hate, artifact hate, mm-hmm. and so it falls to any axis you want to attack it. Mm-hmm. Literally. Quite literally. But once you're getting attacked in so many axes, your opponent has to pick a fighting axis because they cannot just cyborg their 15 cards. Once you're <laughs> vulnerable enough, you cannot become more vulnerable. Your opponent looks at their sideboard and they're like, oh, 15 cards are good against Grindy Breach. Let's just shuffle in all 15 and side yeah. up to <laughs> 75 cards. Like, if you're playing... Let's say you're playing, you're playing against the Border Druid, and you know the Haurza Saga. Will you cyber in this enchant against the deck that's going to kill you with the Border Druid? Mm, I see what you're saying. You reach a point that you're so vulnerable to everything, your opponent has to start choosing what they're going to attack you on. So that's a fa- argument in favor of Urza Saga. Yeah. In, in, in the contrary of Urza Saga, it really harms your mana base. Interesting. But it allows for an extra consistency in turn 3 kills where you just go turn 1 Ursa Saga, turn 2 Devoted, turn 3 Equip the Sword and Wayne. The other conclusion that I, one might reasonably draw is that the single biggest point of failure is always untapping with Devoted Druid. Devoted Druid being summoning sick means that you're never going to combo them if they just kill your Devoted Druid before you get to untap with it. And if that's the case, maybe you should be using all your flex slots 
on extra copies of Postmortem Lunge. Maybe you even want Lightning Greaves in your Stoneforge package. Just anything that can make it more likely that the Voter Druid actually gets to do his thing. So, in the really weird list I proposed during last week's episode, I was on three or four copies of Postmortem Lunge for exactly that reason. Postmortem is just really, really good at what it does. Yeah, you talked about a weird mashup of the Jeskai, of the Sahili felidar combo and the Devoted Druid combo. And, I mean, Sahili can make your Devoted Druid have haste. So, <laughs> it all comes together. I don't even know if that's, like, an angle you're seeing, but it's all working here. I just see the angles. It just has the lines. It has everything you need, but actually winning a game. Yeah, so we're... Uh, we're not going to relitigate that list right here. No, no, no. That list just deserves to die in a fire and never see the light of day. I might test it. I, I might play Yeah, me too. Okay. I, but it has a four-color mana base with Forus Saga, so I can just promise Spain. That'll be, a, that'll be up on the YouTube channel, because we only need one copy of Luxior for that deck. We can actually play that. Exactly. <laughs> um, four stone for Forus Saga. That's it. That's all you need. Speaking of Sahili, uh, let's set Devoted Druid aside for a minute. Talk about the other combo, Sahili Rai. How does this work with Luxior? So Sahili Rai combo is a bit more hard to unlock to figure out how it is. Because you play your Saheli, you equip it with Luxior, and that allows you to minus two on itself. Because Saheli doesn't say other, it just says creature or artifact. But then you create a new Saheli, you have to keep the new one because the other one has already used its loyalty ability, but now Luxor is unequipped, which makes it seem like the combo just doesn't work until you realize Saheli makes the copy an artifact. Yeah. For some odd reason, the copy is an artifact. That means it, the new one can just keep minus two on itself and generate a new one that minus two on itself, and it just goes infinite. Yeah, we got a lot of questions about this um, during preview week, because we talked about this combo and, and people kept asking, like, well, that doesn't work, right? Like, Luxior is no longer equipped, so like, I don't want to pay mana to keep re-equipping Luxior to the new Sahili copies. And we have to say, okay, no, Luxior is only used once. You only need to turn the original Sahili into an artifact once. And after that, Luxior has done its job. From there is just the fact that Sahili's minus two gave you that extra artifact type line, and then you're good to keep going. Same, ex- same way that liquid metal effects work with Sahili. Just turn the original copy into an artifact, and then you can keep minusing Sahili on herself. Exactly. So we just get infinite copies of Saheli entering the battlefield and dying. That's not enough to win you a game. But then you remember Altar of the Brood exists. Altar of the Brood, a one-man artifact, whenever a permanent enters the battlefield, target opponent, or every opponent, mills one card. Yeah, and it has to be specifically Altar. You might think, well, what about a sacrifice outlet? But it turns out that because... Of the legend rule, the legend rule just happens immediately as soon as the second Sahili comes into play. There's no time for you to, you know, sacrifice a permanent to something else. Yeah, you don't have like the priority in in response to it dying. It just dies. Yeah, so it just has to be the enter the battlefield trigger or a death trigger if you have something that does a damage. Like Disciple of the Vault, for example, would work because you're losing an artifact every time this happens. Oh yeah. Oh. Oh. I don't think that's good, but oh. So, ignoring the Disciple of the Vault angle for a second, I'm actually quite intrigued by Mishra's Bubble in this deck. Okay. What do we have for Mishra's Bubble? Well, let's break it down to its core components. You need Sahili Rai, 
You need a Luxior to turn Sahili into a creature, and then you need the Ultra of the Brood. So it's a three-card combo. That is actually a fairly tight package. You can surround that with a lot of different stuff. So I've just sketched out like three or four variations on this. And the first one I'm calling Turbo Combo, where I'm just trying to combo and not do anything else, basically. So in this first build, I do have cards like Mishra's Bubble. Um, the idea is that I want to make cards like Emery, Lurker of the Lock, and Temeshia Reality Architect like somewhat useful cards. So I'm going to be playing four Alters, two Luxiors, four Mishra's Bobble. I even got a Mox Amber in there. This is an Urza Saga deck. One of the big draws to the Alter plus Luxior plus Sahili combo is that Urza Saga finds two of those pieces. So I feel incentivized to play like zero one mana artifacts, if that makes sense. Completing the combo, because I'm already playing Sahili, I want to play Felidar Guardian. That's the classic two-card combo. And there's a secondary combo with Felidar and Ultra of the Brood that I actually found to be pretty good. Uh, the way this works is you have Ultra of the Brood and two copies of Felidar Guardian. And the Felidars will just blink each other forever, and in the process they will mill the opponent out. It sounds ridiculous, but it actually works quite well thanks to the card Glasspool Mimic. Glasspool Mimic is essentially a clone on a modal duo phase land. Just play that tapped at any point in the first three turns, and then on turn four, your Felidar can come down, blink the Glasspool Mimic, start the loop, and then you just win. And I, I won a lot of matches that way when we were doing a Heartless Summoning Week uh, about a year ago. Now, Heartless Summoning is not in this deck because that turns off the Sahili Felidar combo. It also turns off Urza Saga, so it's not going to make the cut here. That's probably for the best. Yeah, it doesn't really help with a lot of stuff. So we have the classic triple combo. Right? <laughs> Sahili Felidar, that's combo one. Felidar, Felidar, Alter, that's combo two. Sahili, Luxior, Alter, that's combo three. And if all that fails, maybe Urza Saga just kills them. Or Ragavan, because turn one Ragavan is always turn one Ragavan. Yeah, exactly. So if you listen to all those combo components, I still didn't fill out the deck, right? There's still slots left, and that's what makes this kind of attractive. I feel like if I could just figure out what is supposed to go in those extra slots, there might be a deck here. So my first sketch has, you know, Ragavans, Expressive Iterations, Teferi's always a good choice. That's good with protecting the combo that also just gives you something to blink for value with Felidar Guardian. And that's basically the deck. You could tinker with those slots. You could play Season Pyromancer, for example, that also works nicely with Felidar. You could you could even fit the Stoneforge package in here. That will help you find Luxior even more often. Yeah, I really struggle to see a Sahelia deck without Season Pyromancer, which is one of the cards you suggest, because it works so well with every single axis of that deck. Like, Saheli is the perfect value card to copy with Saheli. It's the perfect value card to copy with Felidar Guardian or Glass Ball Mimic. It's the Perfect ETV to bounce with the Fetty. It's the perfect way to protect a Planeswalker because it gives you three bodies. It just and it, it just loots away your extra copies of combo cards as you dig. Like Season Pyro is just, just such an efficient card in decks like this one. I'm sold. The perfect card. <laughs> All right. All right. So put that in and take out some of the Emery Bubble stuff. That's probably fine. I think I think Emery Bubble is fine. I just think Tameshi. Tameshi feels off. Mm. In like the fact that you're not gonna get any it's hard to ramp into it. You're not gonna use it to like actually win the game. You're just gonna get like Ursa Saga or Mishra Bubble value. In a deck that I think wants to hit its land drops because it has a six mana win the game ability. 
That makes sense. All right, so another way to take this, sticking with the Sahili Altar Luxior package, I'm keeping the Felidar Glass Mimic Altar because, again, we're going to be playing a lot of copies of Altar of the Brood. We want them to actually contribute meaningfully to the game. Um, however, you could use your flex thoughts to play Karin the Great Creator. Karin the Great Creator allows you to stash an extra Luxior in the sideboard. You probably want to put your fourth Altar of the Brood in the sideboard. And it gives you a little bit of incentive to play Liquid Metal Torque. Liquid Metal Torque is like Liquid Metal Coating, except it also taps for a colorless mana. It cannot target lands, so it's like, eh, not so good in that respect, but it's a ramp card. Yeah, and more importantly, it's a combo enabler, right? As we mentioned before. Exactly. Liquid Metal Torque, target your Sahili, and now you're duplicating the Luxior effect. <laughs> Double Deluxe, you're half the Sahelis. What's more, what's more to love? Exactly, exactly. So four Liquid Metal Torques, four Crying the Great Creator. And I filled this one out with some removal spells, you know, because why not? <laughs> Prismatic Ending, Unholy Heat. So I cut the Ragavans and Expressive Iterations. You can see how, like, there's not quite enough slots to fit everything in. You have to choose, like, do I want to focus on interaction? Do I want to focus on speed, card selection, cantrips, that kind of thing? Do you have to choose? What do you have in mind? You could, you know, play more cards. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good idea, but you could. I'm just saying, it's always a possibility. Play 20 more cards for some reason. Maybe like a 4-5 flyer. Who knows? I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's like having like a, a devil sitting on your shoulder, but it's the same devil on both shoulders, and they're both saying, play Urian. <laughs> Emmy's face. And, and they were like, Urian. Well, I do have Solitude in here. I mean, we do we do occasionally find Sahili decks in Modern playing Sahili, playing Solitude, playing Fury. I mean, these cards all work extremely well with Sahili's minus two. It makes total sense. Once you're in the Felidar Guardian, Teferi, Time Reveler, Blink, and to the Battlefield space, you know, this is easily something you could pursue. You already have 24 lands. You just had six, seven, eight more lands for Season Pinomancer, for Fury, for... Decent ETVs, like Wall of Omens, or Spreading Seas. How about Sun Titan and Invasion of the Giants? <laughs> Explain yourself. <laughs> justify your really justify your concept. Well, Sun Titan is an amazing card, right? It brings back Sahili. You can then copy the Sun Titan to get another trigger. Attack with the Sun Titan. You get so much value with Sun Titan and Sahili. And then in order to actually cast Sun Titan, we need... We need Invasion of the Giants. I mean, that, that just goes without saying. <laughs> Can you imagine the value of blinking Invasion of the Giants with Felidar Guardian? Getting an extra scry too? <sighs> <laughs> I think I've broken Emmy. He's, he's had a tough week. I just <laughs> abandoned him for nine days. I went to the beach. He was like stressed out about all this podcast stuff. <laughs> I come back. I'm like, I've cracked it, so, Emmy. I got Invasion of the Giants. <laughs> so then abandoned me on my first nine days on the show. <laughs> And I was, like, mentally exhausted and overrun by stuff. And the first thing I hear from this rational man is, Emmy, I cracked Invasion of the Giants. <laughs> I got this. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> all right. So you just go turn two Invasion, turn four Santaira, bring back Saheli Rai, copy it, bring back Invasion of the Giants, and you just win. That's an easy game. I lobbied so hard for an Invasion of the Giants week. Actually, did we actually do one? Maybe we did. I think, I, you, think I think you did. I probably shouldn't have been lobbied so hard for 
You love it so hard, you forgot about well, it. Well, I mean, David David wanted to do the other one. He wanted to do Glimpse the Cosmos, the flashback giant spell. But I think Invasion has proven itself to be the superior card. I'll just put it that way. In my defense, Uro was still legal back at that time. So there was a little more incentive to play giants. For March 14, 2021, the Invasion of the Giants. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right, uh, moving on. So that's some Sahili concepts. Actually, there's more Sahili concepts. <laughs> We're not even done with this yet. There is one final Sahili concept, which is the, the is it liquid metal Karn, right? Oh, yeah. So we talked about maybe you want to squeeze Karn into your Sahili combo deck. What if we just tilt the looking glass the other way around, right? <laughs> We squish Saheli into a Karn exactly, deck. Exactly, exactly. So a Karn deck, a dedicated Karn deck, might have a lot of liquid metal effects. You can play liquid metal torque and liquid metal coating. And then once you're doing that, you can play all kinds of stuff. You could play a braid, you could play shenanigans. Not just shenanigans, but like the actual card shenanigans. You could do all this stuff. The actual factual shenanigans. Exactly. <laughs> More importantly, Thieving Skydiver. What a beautiful card. So Thieving Skydiver... One in a blue, two one flying merfolk, kicker X. When you kick it, rather, when it enters a battlefield, you get to seize control of an artifact your opponent controls with CMC X or less. Unfortunately, X cannot be zero. And that's just like the, the real heartbreaker on, on Thieving Skydiver. Because if, if X could be zero, I would love to do this. Right? I would love to just play four liquid metal coatings for Thieving Skydivers. I mean, yeah, it being three mana or two mana is a lot. But you can still have a 3 match 2 one that steals a land. Exactly. I'm undeterred. So despite it not working the way I want, I have a sketch here that's based loosely on a list that uh, the player is 7th Prophet 5-0 with a long time ago. 4 Ragavans, 4 Liquid Metal Torque, 2 Liquid Metal Coating. Then we have 10 cards that pay me off for turning opponent's permanence into artifacts. They are 4 Thieving Skydiver, 4 Abrade, 2 Shenanigans, 4 Karn the Great Creator, 4 Sahili Rai, for Fury. So what is Sahili doing here? Well, you can turn Sahili into an artifact with your liquid metal effects, and then your Ultra the Brood will mill them out. There's Urza Saga here, as well as Karn, to find a single copy of Ultra in the main deck, a single copy of Ultra in the sideboard. Ditto for Luxior. There's one copy in the main, one copy in the sideboard. Again, for Urza Saga and Karn to find. And then to round out the list, four Ragavans and a minor package of Shadow Spear, Unholy Heats, Pyrite Spell Bombs. Why wouldn't you play for Ragavan in your red deck? Exactly. That's that's the point? That's what we're saying? Yeah, well, I need something to pitch to Fury, because Fury is also great with Sahili, so... Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> so there's a decent amount of interaction here. It's actually a lot of point-and-shoot, one-for-one removal, uh, or not one-for-one. Yeah. I'm spending two cards because I'm playing a Liquid Metal effect first. <laughs> two shenanigans for a raid, four Skydiver in case we get a Liquid Metal going, two Holy Heat, Pirate Spell Bomb. And for Fury, it's a lot more removal than we tend to have in our combo decks. Yeah, so you may find that once you've put this all together, you have too much removal and not enough combo. And if that's the case, you have plenty of options to customize this. Splashing into white for Felidar Guardian is very easy to do. I, I don't have Felidar on this list, but you could easily splash Felidar in. Maybe instead you want to take more inspiration from the green-based Liquid Metal Karn decks. They've gotten a lot of good mileage out of playing Ren and Six, Boseju Who Endures, Ancient Grudge. I mean, Ancient Grudge is amazing with liquid metal effects. And if you're doing that, you might even want a single copy of Essica's Chariot, which we found to be very powerful in conjunction with Sahili Rai. Oh, I remember when you got a bunch of 5-0s with it. Well, one 5-0. 
<laughs> I think it was one five oh, which didn't get published for some reason. It exists. If it didn't get published, one is the same as three. True. And if it was three, because one equals three, it was many five O's. You know how it goes. Exactly. You just hype yourself up. <laughs> it's undeniable there were multiple five O's with it. So that is more of a Karn-based strategy with Sahelia and Luxor. You could you could be the nightmare of all your hammer time opponents. Just playing fourth team skydiver in the main deck. <laughs> you can just crush the dreams of any of anyone just trying to play hammer time. And then lose to anything else. But just picture it, turn two shenanigans to your opponent's stuff, and then turn three just start reaching it back. So the final family of decks in modern is Carthalion. I like Carthalion. Emmy kind of snickers whenever I mention it. I distinctly remember you saying a few weeks back that, yeah, modern is kind of casual. You'll find a lot of Carthalion in the queues right now. I love Carthalion. My problem with Carth is that there's not enough good planeswalkers in modern that you want to play with it. Because if you think about modern playable planeswalkers, you get stuck at Brennan 6, Teferi, maybe Greased. And then after that, you just start to adding a bit of like filler, right? You'll really go down in power level. Well... But maybe that changes now. Yeah, so I have a few thoughts on this. We did a whole week on Karth, and I've revisited it a couple of times. The biggest thing that I've learned is that 14 Planeswalkers is plenty. And when I look at published Karth lists, a lot of them are playing like 18 or 19, which is a way too many, right? And then they're also sticking with like black green colors right they're they're like a rock or a i don't know deck. why people do that they just stick to like they just play cards and they just think they need to play three mana nisa from from it's not ramonica it's Endicar, the one that makes plants why are you playing that card <laughs> well because they can't they can't fill the planeswalker package otherwise but yeah i think it's they're they're seeing that karth is black green they're thinking, okay, Liliana of the Veil, that's my go-to Planeswalker. And if I'm playing Liliana in Black Green, I should be a rock deck. But all rock decks have the exact same weaknesses. Karth can't magically make your rock deck good. Okay, maybe you go into red, you get red and six, you're, you're on the right track. So that's like the, the basics of Karth. I think you actually get a much stronger deck if you allow yourself to go into four and five colors. But I've got a few yeah, lists proposed for each configuration. So why does Luxior fit in the deck. Well, Luxior is supposed to just get attached to Planeswalkers. It's not supposed to do anything silly with combos. It's just supposed to let you fight with Planeswalkers. And a Karth deck is, in theory, a Planeswalker deck. Maybe you want to occasionally turn your Planeswalkers into creatures. <laughs> so let's see if that holds up. Let's just like look at a Karth shell and see if we want Luxior in here. So a basic Jund Karth deck, uh, at least as I'm conceiving of it, would have Renin 6, Liliana of the Veil, Karn the Great Creator, two Grist, two Obnixilis. So this is actually more Planeswalkers than you need. This is 16. I don't, I'm not quite sure about the Obnixilis because you have like six creatures to sacrifice. Uh, I have Arbor Elves. I have two Grist the Hunger Tides. I have four Karth yeah, Lions. You are not sacrificing Karth to Obnixilis. If I have an extra Karth, I will sacrifice the extra Karth. But the thing is, like, you don't need you don't need a casualty on Mixilis. You just need a plausible planeswalker. If you don't believe in Mixilis, you have Nissa Voices Endicar. We've covered all the angles. Uh, 
Okay. All right. Okay. Well, this is just again just a basic concept. Um, Arbor Elf Utopia Sprawl. If you feel like you need more creatures, cut the Utopia Sprawls, play Ragavans or Ignoble Hierarchs instead. Oof. Um, you can't play Ignoble, but yeah, you can't casualty Ignoble. Oh, because of the power. All right. Forget it's power, not mana, which is quite surprising. But yeah. All right. For, forget. Yeah, Ragavan is always the answer. <laughs> you have a few slots left for your. Rockish stuff, fatal push, thought seize inquisition, but nothing special. Okay, perfect. So the question is, does Luxior do anything in this deck? Like, would it merit a slot in your Karn wishboard? I think the answer is yes for one really, really precise situation, which is dealing with opponents' planeswalkers, because this deck has no way to do that. So Luxior allowing you to attack your opponent's planeswalker with your own planeswalker. Exactly. Well, you have Grist. I mean, maybe Grist is the solution to all the problems. You just Grist is always the solution. Play more Grist. Uh, you could play the Luxior main that gives you more things to sacrifice to Obnixilis. Let's let's consider then a variation on this that's more focused on Ob. Did, did you just propose sacrificing another planeswalker to Obnixilis? Did you just say that? Are we going so deep into Obnixilis tank we're sacrificing Liliana to Obnixilis? Well, it's a Karth deck. Every time a planeswalker dies, you get a fresh replacement. And that sounds silly, but I mean, we we played some terrible cards with Karth. We played a Kazmina Enigmatic Mentor deck with Karth, and there was actually kind of useful to just have the ability to kill a Planeswalker on command. Heart of Kirin was in that deck, and it actually sort of worked. Well, David just proposed in the chat like less than an hour ago. Dan, what do you think of that in Heart of Kirin to your card list as a way to sacrifice your Planeswalkers in response to like exile effects? Exactly. See, we're on the same page. I've corrupted his thoughts. When you go too deep with someone just talking about deglis, you just start corrupting each other. You just go too deep. Alright, so if I'm going to focus on Obnixilis, if I'm very concerned that I'll have nothing to sacrifice, I might build my Jund Karth deck slightly differently. I would want to emphasize more creatures, so no more Arbor Elves. We're going to play Ragavans. Uh, we cannot play Ignoble because, as I have just been informed, that does not work for casualty. <laughs> so we'll cut the Ignoble Hierarchs. <laughs> we'll play Ragavans. We'll play Tarmogoyfs, because Tarmogoyf, when you have stuff like Planeswalkers, maybe Oath of Nisses, you have the ability to get like a very large Tarmogoyf to sacrifice a casualty. Um, we're going to play Karth. Our Planeswalkers are Renin 6, Liliana the Veil, 4 Obnixilis, 3 Grist, 2 Chandra Torch of Defiance, 1 Nissa Voice of Zendikar. I love Chandra Torch of Defiance. It's such an interesting Planeswalker. It is. It's really good. I mean, this card is great in Pioneer. It's almost there in Modern if you can just slow the game down a little bit. Or give it, like, slightly more efficient stats. Which Karth does. Karth makes it extremely efficient. Oh, yeah. The minus two deal for damage or the plus two are just both insane. So here I've got two Luxiors in the main deck and two copies of Light Up the Night, which is not a widely played card, but it's actually very strong as a surprise finisher in Karth decks. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Light Up the Night on the front side is X and a red, X damage when you target, but the back side, that is the flashback side, is very interesting. Three and a red, remove X loyalty counters from among planeswalkers you control, and then you're dealing X damage to any target. You can just immediately kill someone from 12 life if you just have two planeswalkers in play. You just go plus two or plus two plus three, that's five extra damage and anything else you just sank it in. Shoot your opponent out of the game all of a sudden. So that's Jund variations on Karth, if you believe that Obnixilis makes the Planeswalker package more attractive there. It's not totally clear to me that Luxior helps this deck, but it's something to consider at least. Yeah. 
Also, the mana base, I really like the Play on Mountains mana base for Dwarven Mine. In your, if you can, in your Omnixilis deck, seems like really interesting. Yeah, I've been wondering about this. Like, are there casualty cards that actually become good if you just have Dwarven Mine always available? I don't know if there's another playable casualty card. There's like the two mana, look at your top two, pick one, put that in your hand. That's what I was thinking about because that was the one that looked the most modern playable in the pre-release. Mm. Because it's just like two mana, look for draw two. Mm-hmm. But are you willing to always sacrifice something to it? Because it's really bad if you don't, it's like bad anticipate. A little chat, I think that's the card's name. A little chat, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that seems like an interesting proposition for a fo- for a following episode if we can find enough. Like play an actual casualty deck. So before we leave the Karth space, uh, I'll mention that a four or five color build is stronger in my opinion. I have found that Ren and Six, Teferi Time Raveler, and Liliana of the Veil are actually like the best 12 walkers for Karth specifically. They fit the curve well. Oath of Nyssa holds it all together, right? It makes your Teferi Time Ravelers have a value target to blink, and it also makes it trivial to cast Liliana and Ren and Six and Teferi. I mean, we're spread across five colors already. It's kind of ridiculous, but Oath of Nyssa... Even through a Blood Moon, you just go through. Exactly, exactly. It's the perfect card. So if I have 12 walkers that are actually good, I only need a couple more to feel confident. I, again, I said 14 for Karth is, is fine. So let's say I put in like a Grist, and maybe I want to actually incorporate Sahili into this deck. So I'm proposing a, a rainbow five-color Karth deck that plays all those walkers and for Sahili Rise. So there's four Felidar Guardians there. Again, we get that synergy. Felidar blinking Teferi Time Reveler. Felidar blinking Oath of Nyssa. You can just grind through a lot of stuff this way. Or Lily of the Veil to get an extra edict. Like, Felidar Guardian plus playing Swalkers is always good. Exactly. So what is Luxior doing in this shell? Um, it doesn't have the infinite combo. You can still attach it to Sahili. You can minus Sahili on herself, as we discussed. There's no Alter of the Brood, because Alter doesn't work with anything else in the deck. Um... I don't know, do you think I should play Ultra the Brood in this deck? I don't know if you have enough ways to get it. That's my biggest problem. Yeah. I mean, it would be interesting, but I would have to play Urza Saga or something. I don't know. There's not really any room for anything else. <laughs> I could play Karn the Great Creator if I cut the Karths, but I don't think I want to do that. I want to play Karth. What a Seekers Chariot, that makes sense to me here. So the combo you can do is you can have a Karth in play, Sahili and Luxior, and now... When you equip Luxior to Sahili, every time you minus two Sahili on herself, you generate a death trigger for Curse. So you end up drawing all the Planeswalkers in your deck. Which is like so-so. It depends on the situation. That might be good or not. Yeah, at least drawing six cards is a good alternative. Yeah, you'll have a grip full of Lilianas when you die. <laughs> you'll have all these Lilianas in your hand when they kill you with Primeval Titan. Drawing a lot more cards than you should draw is the best way to die, according to Dan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this is the... I always think Karth should be played in a rainbow shell. I just think Renan 6 is too good not to be played, and then you just get access to the Ferita Raveler, which is likely the best Flameswalker, because if it becomes a minus 2 and a plus 2, it's extremely annoying to deal with, even without an emblem or such. Alright, so that's modern. We had the dedicated combo with Devoted Druid, Dedicated combo with Sahili, and more of a Planeswalker, Super Friends, with Karth that may or may not want Luxior, which is kind of ironic for a Planeswalker. 
From let's poker deck. Is, is Luxurious coming modern in unfair decks? Can we not make a Luxurious attack deck work? <laughs> I mean, it becomes an interesting question if you change formats. So we do have a couple of pioneer sketches that David has provided for us here. He's our pioneer guru, our brewing master. Let's take a look at those and see what you can do when you're actually forced to attack with a Planeswalker, because Luxior doesn't do anything else. The name says it all, right? Right. We went from Saheli Turbo Combo with Luxior to Gideon Tribal Agro. Oh, well, this is, this is, my, this is my half-baked idea. Let's, let's skip this one. Let's go down to... Sheskai Creatureless Luxior, deck rank number one. So, he starts the deck a bit more controlish, with four March of the Otherworldly Lights, two portable holes, and a Starborn Denial, followed by three Sensor and three Domin Spado. So that looks like an Asolius control shell on its own. But then it's followed by two Luxier and a Myth Realized. There's a small synergy there as well, in that if you equip Luxier to your Myth Realized as a creature, it will stay as a creature. Okay, so Luxior permanently makes whatever it's equipped to have the creature type. So anything that was temporarily a creature, like Myth Realized, like a crude vehicle, gets to stay a creature as long as Luxior is attached to it. Exactly. Followed by Gideon of the Trials, three Royal Scions, two Narset Parted of the Veils, and two Gideon Black Blades, alongside two Settled Wreckage, two Supreme Verdicts, and four Wandering Emperors. How can you not love Wandering Emperor? David has listed it here as a borderline broken card and the primary win condition of the deck. What happens if you equip Luxior to a Wandering Emperor? So, first of all, you start with a small 3-3, but all of a sudden you use the plus 1, which makes it a 4-4, it gets an extra plus 1 counter, which gives it plus 2, plus 2, because it gets plus 1 from the counter, and plus 1 because Luxior sees an extra counter on it. So a Wandering Emperor on step that plus 1's on itself, that plus 1's on something, and then on your turn you equip Luxior and plus 1's on itself, attacks for 7 with first strike? Okay, this is a very interesting deck. I mean, on the one hand, it's got those control cards. On the other hand, your Planeswalkers can all attack for big chunks of damage. Wandering Emperor, of course, just being versatile. But the Gideons, we got three Gideon to the Trials, two Gideon Blackblades. I think of Gideon Blackblade as a very offensive creature. Yeah, also, King Gideon of the Trial for their permanent and the whole up settled Wandering Emperor is the kind of just dream scenario to put your opponent on, right? Like, do I attack with all expose myself into Gideon? Do I just let Gideon survive? What do, what do I do against, like, this re control suit? Yeah, Gideon the Trials makes more sense, right? That's kind of a defensive Planeswalker. You'll even find that just in, like, a, a four-color Fires deck, for example, or a Jeskai Fires deck. Plus one to force them to commit more stuff to the board, and then you blow them out with... But, I mean, here, if they're, if they're not careful... Equipping Luxior to a Gideon, then activating Gideon to make it a creature, you get a huge attacker. Just a huge attacker, because you get an additional plus one, plus one for each loyalty counter, plus the base power of Gideon was set at 4-4. Four, four. So a Gideon will attack for what, like 8, 9? Yeah, it's gonna be an 8-9 attacker consistently. But I think the most crazy part about the deck is the fact you're splashing red for one card, and only one card. And looking at the argument, Science is the best Planeswalker to suit up with Luxior, and I believe the Red, Splash, the, the Red Splash is worth it for it alone. So we're talking about Will and Rowan Kenrith, the Royal Science. I, I, I can't believe you know both that are right. <laughs> <laughs> one blue red comes in on five, and it has two plus ones, so the Royal Science are just going to keep going up and up and up. The first one is a draw a card, discard a card. The second one 
target creature gets plus two plus zero and gains first strike and trample. So Royal Scions on three, comes in on five, immediately takes up to six. If you get to attack next turn, equipped with the Luxior, you have a seven loyalty Royal Scions. You can even plus two on itself, so you're attacking for nine with first strike and trample with Royal Scions. Yeah, you just go huge on itself. That's interesting. I mean, I mean, yeah, it seems like the best way to close down the game. Did we ever play a Royal Science card deck? Because it seems to emblem really fast, but I don't think we ever did. Not to my knowledge. I mean, it's kind of weird that it doesn't... It doesn't ultimate the turn you play Karth, and that's... that's like, Yeah. So if you okay, curve Karth into yeah. Scions, you'll have a six loyalty Scions on the turn you play Karth, and your ultimate will still cost seven, so you're a little bit off. Oh, okay. You're like one. You need like a turn five. Okay, I get it. I see why not. Yeah, and it's still good to be able to ultimate the next turn, but then actually a lot of planeswalkers fit that category. With any Liliana, does the same thing with Karth. So it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, for some reason, I thought it was like a plus two. So going back into Pioneer, it also grants trample to your other threats. For example, to the Heart of Kiran or the Huge Gideon. Yeah. So I'm not. I'm not convinced that Royal Science is a must. I, I really like the ability to attack for 9, but I feel like Gideon's also attack for 9, so I'm not 100% convinced we need to splash into red. Yeah, my problem is the splash. I don't think the splash is worth it when you can just play a really perfect Asodio shell, right? Hmm. You're only getting 3 cards out of the splash in a format where splashes are not as free as modern. You will get punished by a lot more top lands and such. What do you think about the 3-mana uh, Ajani that gives something flying and double strike? Original honey? Ajani, Collar of the Pride, one white-white, comes in on four, plus one to put a counter on a creature, minus three target creature gains flying and double strike until end of turn. Eh, yeah, that's actually not that good. You don't want a minus three because then you lose all your power bonuses from Luxior. That's too bad. Yeah, so Ajani, I don't think there's a single playable Ajani, sadly, but there has to be like another Gideon you can use. Wait, is Foreman a Gideon legal? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Gideon Ella of Zendikar, that's legal. I think you just go for Gideon Ella of Zendikar. So if you want to close a game fast, I think the answer is always forming a Gideon. So we can compare a couple aggro decks that have a little more Gideon, Gideon punch. Right? Gideon-ish. Uh, so David has one that he calls Blue-White Luxior Beats, and he notes that this is the worst of the decks that he's proposing. But you keep three Gideon Blackblades, two Gideon of the Trials, Three Luxiors, because we want to be equipping that to a Gideon. Uh, two Tezzeret Betrayer of Flesh, one Wandering Emperor. These are strong Planeswalkers, but I think the idea here is that we're actually going to think of ourselves as a curve-out aggro deck, and we just can't play that many 4-drops. So as much as I might want to put Gideon, Ally of Zendikar in here, three 4-drops is already kind of pushing it, because we want to leave as, as many... Exactly. We want to leave as many slots open for things like Toolcraft Exemplar, Thraben Inspector, Portable Hole, Heart of Kirin, Patchwork Automaton, and Luminarch Aspirant. These are interesting beatdown creatures. David has four of each in the two slot, and he even has two copies of Lion's Sash. The reason these cards are chosen is twofold. One, they work with the artifact synergies, but two, like they actually get boosted by Luxior in a way that most normal creatures do not, right? Luxior only gives you any bon bonus if you have counters. Luminarch Aspirant, Patchwork Automaton, Lion's Sash, these cards bring counters with them. So Luxior actually does something on them, although it is pretty expensive to attach to a creature. Yeah, but in the late game, just having your 3-3 become a 5-5 starts becoming increasingly relevant. 
or even more so with like the lion slash right like like the five five becomes a nine nine it is nice i mean you're essentially doubling up your size yeah so david has envisioned this deck with a light blue splash for a moon snare prototype and tesseret I was thinking I would just go mono-white, so I have a, a variation on this. It's playing a lot of the same creatures, Toolcraft Exemplar, Portable Hole, Three Inspector, Heart of Cure, and Luminarch Aspirant, but I was thinking I would just stick with white and you know, maybe play two four-mana Gideons, Ally of Zendikar, maybe an Elspeth Resplendent, three Luxiors, two Kithion, the one-mana Gideon, and just like see what happens. I don't know if I'll ever actually flip a Kithion. You need to attack with three creatures, but if I did, I would have another attractive planeswalker to attach luxior to yeah going mono white seems seems like the best way to win with this today david is on his strange trend of splashing an extra color for exactly two or three cards (laughs) yeah i like tezzeret i want to like it but if you stay if you play monocolor you get access to some really great lands you can get faceless haven if you want that you can play mobilized district if you're heavy on legends you can play the Syndicate one that gets counters that really works well with if you ever get like seven mana. Which card is that? So the one that just goes like, there's a man land from the new Syndicate, which you tap four, it gets two plus one plus one counters, and then you may transform it into a land. Oh, Crawling into Barons. Into a creature. Crawling Barons. Yes. Yeah. I forgot about that one. And that gets really huge with, with looks really, really fast. All right, so that would be like mono white, but let's stick in the multicolor space because I think David might be onto something with the royal signs. So the final list we'll, we'll consider here is a blue-red artifact aggro deck. So we have Luxior War, U-R, which means is it, <laughs> artifact aggro, deck rank two. So he thinks this is a bit less powerful than the, uh, than the Solid Control one. And here he goes, four Moonsnare prototype, four Springlist from, so eight Ram effects, three Voltaran Epicure, three Luxior, two Volta Search, and a Stubborn Denial as one drops, four Magda, which really easily explains the eight Rams, four Patchwork Automatons, four Shrapnel Blast, two Heart of Kiran, and one Unlicensed Hearse. I think that Hearse is there just because of David's love for it. I don't think it's justifiable in other ways, but <laughs> he just loves the Hearse. Four Royal Science. A three drops, which, as he said before, is the best placeworker to equip the luxury if you are having a beatdown plan, and then two Tesseret and two Karn sign of forces. So again, we're envisioning Royal Science as our biggest payoff for Luxior, getting to attack for huge amounts of damage with first strike and trample. It also loots away extra copies of Luxior. That's very nice. Shrapnel Blast is the card that I would probably cut. David has a note that you know if you get one good hit in with Science plus Luxior. Being able to deal five with Shrapnel Blast starts to look very attractive. I've just been let down by Shrapnel Blast every time I've tried it. Yeah, the only time I have liked Shrapnel Blast was in the time I played that Rakdos burn deck with Valdar and Epicure, and that's it. I don't think, unless you're just trying to really, really go five at the face a lot, I don't love Shrapnel Blast. And really important, note that crewing a vehicle is your first activation for the turn of the turns for test purposes. Like, if you crew a vehicle, you cannot use this passive ability again. Yeah, so the Tezzeret passive ability doesn't actually have that much to spend it on here. You have blood tokens from Valderan Epicure. You have attaching a Luxior. But apart from that, uh, you're not using the Tezzeret static for very much. So cards like activating Moonstar Prototype, activating Springleaf Drum, these all use up your first artifact activation. So there's a lot of ways to accidentally blow yourself out with Tezzeret in this list. 
Why do we have Tesseret here and then? As a loot? Why do we love Tesseret here? Instead of extra copies of Karn. I think the theory is that Tesseret is just stronger than Karn. Uh, it's just more versatile. Okay. It gets you out of a lot of board states. I don't know if that's true or not. Like, we haven't had amazing but that's results a theory. with Tez. Yeah, we've had, like, some solid results with Tez, but not enough that I feel like, confident saying it's better than Karn. Although Karn's okay. not very good either. Like, Karn's sign of Versa is not a staple by any stretch. I do really like Patchwork Automaton. That's a card I have been surprised every single time I have faced it on play with it. Yeah, it comes with a natural ward too. I mean, it's a very attractive card even to just use Tezzeret to turn it into a base power 4-4. Four, four. Yeah, ward 2 is really annoying to deal with. Yeah, so th there's actually some interesting stuff going on here that might have like hidden pockets of power. Just cut the Shrapnel Blast and you have yourself a winner. Remove the Shadow Blast, which might be the worst card in the deck as per usual. <laughs> just add more voltage surgeons to burn denials. We should note, just for the sake of completeness, that Sahili Rai is legal in Pioneer, although Feller Guardian is not. Altar of the Brood is legal in Pioneer. We've tried some very suspicious Teshar combo decks with Altar of the Brood and Diligent Excavator and all kinds of nonsense like that. You could, in theory, attach Luxior to Sahili in Pioneer and do the Altar of the Brood combo. But there aren't that many incentives to like make those into useful pieces individually. So I don't feel like there's a lot of support for the Sahili Luxior Alter combo in Pioneer, although it is technically possible. Yeah, but you don't have the Sagas, you don't have the Tudors, you don't have Stoneforge. You just feel a bit like deprived in the amount of advantages you get from it in Modern. Yeah, the best use I found for Sahili in Pioneer was with Essex's Chariot and like a Teamer ramp shell. Just using it to get a bunch of cats on the battlefield. So the, the line there is you play Essex's Chariot on turn 4, you get two cats. You immediately minus two Sahili to copy the chariot. Keep the token copy of chariot. You get two more cats. That one has haste from Sahili, so you crew it. You attack with your token copy of chariot. And then from the chariot trigger, you can actually copy itself to get another chariot. So you end up getting three chariots in the same turn uh, just off a single Sahili. The new one is a permanent token copy that is a permanent copy of the temporary Sahili copy. <laughs> So you went through three chariots in order to finally keep one, which could have been the first one, but you got six copy six cats out of the deal. You got six cats. You didn't deal any damage because you lost your attacker to the legend rule, but you got so many cats. So many cats. You got so many cats to protect <laughs> your placeworker at at one loyalty. Yeah, so if I could come up with a reason to like also include Alter and Luxior in that deck, that might be plausible, but I can't think of one right now. You would have me like ten cards. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's, imagine the possibilities. Agro cat mill. All right, so we're 10 decks in. Emmy, in your opinion, have we found any playable decks for Luxior? In Pioneer, I really, really like the first list we discussed from David's. There's a Sky Creatureless, which I think should be a, a Sodius Creatureless Luxior, but allowing you to have your win condition in the form of a one mana to equip, one mana to play artifact, and just play like a really smooth control shell, and when your opponent is having to private resources, slamming down with Wandering Emperor? Seems like really interesting, because it allows you to always hold up interaction, send sort of Inspiro, set the record, Wandering Emperor, just playing your really, really strong Asodius slash Sky control deck, and all of a sudden, you just equip the Luxure and start hitting for 7, 8 damage and really putting us close, a, a clock on the game. Which is something really interesting for only 2 mana, allowing you not to play any expensive win conditions. I also, I agree with David, misrealized. I think it's just 
maybe not worth it, but we know people will love it. Shoutouts to Spot Red in the Discord. Our myth realized. Fanatic. <laughs> entrepreneur. Lover. Yeah, none of those words seemed quite appropriate. But <laughs> they don't capture the full extent of Spot Red's love for myth realized. But we see you. We see you out there hustling with those. There's a word for him, but we just can't. There's no word in the English language to describe it. <laughs> that amount of love for a card. So, yeah, the one of myth realized. To keep the fans happy. So for me, the most promising shell I think would be Sahili Altar in Modern, specifically because the Felidar Guardian Altar of the Brood Glass Pull Mimic combo is, I think, like an under the radar combo that I actually believe in strongly, and that I think might actually like give you a kind of robust angles in a way that some of the other Sahili Altar decks I've seen don't actually have. So I think I'm just going to start there, and we'll just see what happens. I know that plenty of people will be trying Devoted Druid. I'm curious to see how Emmy's experiment with Sahili Devoted Druid mashup turns out. I, I think the strongest version might be just play Devoted Druid combo with Saga. Like, not doing anything crazy. Just play Force Stone, Force, Force, Force Devoted, Force Saga, and play the normal Devoted Druid package with it. Okay. All right, so competing theories. This is why we test the decks, and starting... Today, we have the ability to actually test that, and we will let you know next week what we learned. Yeah. Will Saheli be worth it? Or do we just want to do devoted stuff and meet back an old friend of ours that just disappeared from the format? <laughs> All right, so I think we'll leave it there. For the Habatra lovers, remember, you can always combo with devoted Luxor and Habatra. We don't know if that's decent, if that's playable, if Yogmoth wants that, but know that you can do so. You can do that, and you don't have to untap with Devoted Druid. So if you're very concerned about spot removal, you can just immediately combo infinite snakes. Infinite snakes, everybody. Like, for only only seven, eight mana. Exactly. <laughs> Why is equipping Luxor so expensive? <laughs> exactly. All right, we'll leave it there for now. As always, get at us if you have some Luxor ideas that you feel like might be promising, if we've left any stones unturned. We are on Twitter at FaithlessMTG, or if you want to come chat with us directly, you can come join our Discord and hang out with us there. Yeah, hope to see everybody there. We really have a loving community in our Discord, and you wouldn't believe the excitement for the Serum Visions boat. People were all over it. Yeah, so next episode, which should come out on Monday, will be our first crack at the winning card from our first Serum Visions monthly crossover project, Invoke Calamity. We're going to take our first crack at it, propose some lists, and we'll just see where that takes us. So check back then, and see you next time. See you soon. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this episode, remember to tune in on Monday as Kevin and I put our efforts into cracking the Serum Visions collaboration winner, Invo Calamity. Will we be able to find a home for this 5-mana instant that costs compatible rare in multiple formats? Or will we struggle to find a suitable proof for it? Tune in on Monday to find out, and you can join our Discord to let us know of any ideas you might have for it. Hope you have a nice night, and stay safe! Bye-bye!